We're continuing through the Apostles' Creed. Thankful for Graham and him preaching God's Word and God's truth last week. Really in the last line uh, of the Creed regarding Christ. Uh, Up to this point, we've seen two lines about God the Father. Um, depending how, on how you're counting, 11-ish lines about Christ. Graham pointing out um, last week's line was the line that looked forward into the future of the coming judgment when Christ would return. But all of those lines before that, looking at Christ's pra- past and present work. And this morning, we're entering into the last third of the Apostles' Creed, the last I believe in statement of the Creed. And while it may look like on the surface that the Holy Spirit has only one line compared to God the Father, especially in comparison to Jesus Christ, you may think that's not fair. You may think, well, that doesn't balance the Trinity out very well. But one of the things I I hope you see, one of the things that we see not only focused on in this creed, but also in God's Word, is that the Holy Spirit's work is to highlight Christ, is to focus on Christ, is to inspire writers to write about Christ, inspire prophets to promise uh, things regarding the Christ, to open our eyes to the Christ, to glorify Christ. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in this. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I am reminded more so that I need help more than ever. It's interesting, though, that even as children, as infants, newborns, as we have some in this room... Uh, as soon as they're born, they're not afraid to admit that they need help. In crying out, I need food. I need warmth. I need protection. I need mama. <laughs> they're crying out for those things. But then think about what we do as parents. We spend the next 18 years of their life teaching them to not need help. And I, I've just been thinking about this, how interesting it is not only as, as parents, yes, we want them to grow up and to be able to move out of our house, to be able to do things on their own, but even then add on top of that the American mentality that we can do it on our own. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. When in reality to God's Word, that's never what God's people have been told to do. They've been told to be a dependent people upon God. Um, to be a a dependent people upon His strength, His provision. And so it is interesting that as parents, our, our children come to us crying for help and we're continually teaching them to not need help. And yet, we ought to, especially as Christian parents, be teaching our children to be seeking help at the right times and from the right places, from the right God. Uh, That's what we want to be teaching. We, as adults, Christians, we ought to be the first in our culture, in our church, to be able to admit that we need help. And we know who to go to. 
We, we go to the one who Scripture says is our helper, the Lord. And, and specifically, He's given us His very Spirit who is our helper. The Holy Spirit is the helper we so desperately need in this life and in the life to come both in physical needs and in spiritual needs. And that's what this line of the creed points out so clearly. This line of the the creed, though it's just one line, the, the creed really goes on to highlight all that the Holy Spirit is doing. If you consider the, the line, I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. Who is it that gives birth to the church? It's the Holy Spirit. We believe in the communion of saints. Who is it that gives union to the saints in the church? It's the Holy Spirit. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Who is it that gives us that forgiveness of sins? It is the Spirit of God. Who is it that brings about the resurrection of the body that we go on in the creed to say we believe in? It is the Holy Spirit and the life everlasting. And so when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we're uniting the Spirit of God, the, the Son of God, and uh, God the Father together. This is what we sang about in opening. Thank you, Graham, for leading us to sing Holy, 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 uh, singing about the blessed Trinity that we have. The, the apostles, the early believers, stated their claim in, of faith in God the Father, in Jesus Christ, His only Son, and in God, the Holy Spirit. And and so it's important for us to focus on and consider that, what that means for us uh, today in in our life. The the confessors of this creed described Him as the Holy Spirit. We've seen this, uh, this title, the Holy Spirit, already in the creed. If we go back to the earlier lines of the creed where it says that Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That it was the Holy Spirit um, that, that gave birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the womb of Mary. We've already begun to see the work of the Holy Spirit throughout history and, and in the life uh, of Jesus Christ. But when it says Holy Spirit, it's differentiating our hope and our trust in the, the Spirit uh, as the Holy Spirit different from the other spirits of the world, of which the Bible mentions that there are evil spirits, false spirits, that, that we believe, we've put our hope in, our trust in the Holy Spirit, one who is holy, sinless, distinct, excuse me, distinct, separate, righteous, blameless. This is who the Spirit is that we have put our faith and trust in. And like God the Father, the Holy Spirit is obviously a spirit, as, uh, which is different from Jesus Christ. The Son of God who is no longer spirit but has a body. It has flesh and blood when He took on flesh and was conceived by the Holy Spirit and still has His body to this day. We are putting our hope and trust in 
the Spirit of God as well as the Son of God and, and God the Father. And so he's called the Holy Spirit in this creed. Other places in God's Word refer to him as the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of truth. And let us not forget the good old King James Version, the Holy Ghost, right? As well as the hymn writers, right? Because ghost probably rhymes with more things than spirit, I'm, I'm guessing. And so they want to slip that in there. These are the, the phrases that we have, uh, or the titles that we have describing the, the Holy Spirit. And He is God. But He's not God the Father, and He's not God the Son. Which also means that the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Father. This is the holy mystery regarding the Trinity. Let me read to you from one of the oldest uh, Baptist confessions that we have regarding this blessed Trinity that we sung about earlier. This divine and infinite being consists of three real persons, the Father, the Word or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence without this essence being divided. The Father is not derived from anyone, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. All three are infinite and without beginning, and therefore only one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being. Yet these three are distinguished by several distinctive characteristics and personal relations. This truth of the Trinity is the foundation of all our fellowship with God and of our comforting dependence upon Him. I said earlier in the, this series regarding the Creed that certain of these essential truths would differentiate us from others who may even call themselves Christians but actually do not believe in the Godhood of the Son of God or even the Godhood of the Spirit of God. And so this goes another step, another level, showing us that we are distinct and different. It is, as the writers of that confession said, the foundation of all of our fellowship with God and our comforting independence upon Him. In fact, Certain beliefs about the Holy Spirit have divided churches, especially more recently in a, a certain charismatic movement, a certain uh, Pentecostal movement, but this is nothing new. The certain beliefs about the Holy Spirit have divided churches. In fact, belief about the Holy Spirit caused one of, if not the largest, um, church split in all of history. Uh, in fact, this morning in our field training class, Nick mentioned, uh, was talking about 
um, different traditions' scriptures. He me- mentioned the Eastern Orthodox tradition, uh, and, and the, that, that Eastern Orthodox tradition comes from the split of uh, the, the church in Rome and what is now known as the Eastern Church, what we would call the Orthodox Church. And they split over a, a phrase that was added to the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed says this, And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. The writers of the Nicene Creed, writing against certain errors during their day and age, said that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and full stop. But as history went on, um, writers saw the importance of noting the truth about the Scriptures in their creeds, saying that the Holy Spirit not only proceeded from the Father, but also from the Son. Uh, this is seen absolutely clearly, and some of the Scriptures we'll see later, especially John chapter 14 and John chapter 15. Uh, what the Eastern Orthodox Church thought regarding Uh, that statement that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son is that it made the Holy Spirit less. And, And so it was in their desire to not see the Holy Spirit as less, to not hold to that clause. And yet those who hold to this clause, this what's called the philoque clause, which means the Son clause, um, we don't believe that this um, lowers the Holy Spirit in our view, but, but differentiates Him in His role and His work, that He does proceed from the Father, that He does proceed from the Son in a specific work to highlight the Son of God uh, in the power uh, of God the Father. Jesus says that the Father will send Him whom I am sending to you. And so, we believe that this Holy Spirit is both distinct from the Father and the Son, and yet sent by both the Father and the Son to accomplish a work that He was sent to do. And the way I've hoped to look at a little bit of the the Holy Spirit this morning is to kind of just travel through the Bible from from the beginning towards the end and looking at what the Bible says regarding the Spirit. And if that's the case, then I want to start in the Old Testament. And we often think of the Holy Spirit's work as more prevalent in the New Testament. And that may be true because of the promise of the Holy Spirit in the promises of the New Covenant. And the book of Acts, describing the work of the Spirit Uh, so clearly in the early church. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't present in the Old Testament. There are many different mentions of the Holy Spirit's uh, activity and the Holy Spirit's presence in the Old Testament that I want you to have in the back of your mind or, or take notes on regarding these things. We could even think about uh, earliest on in the Old Testament, in Genesis, in Genesis 1, it was the Spirit 
that was present at creation hovering over the waters. We could go on later into the book of Exodus where the Spirit was present in a few who were given gifts to artistically build the tabernacle, Bezalel and Aholiab. It was the Spirit who enabled them to do things like that. The Bible says, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, Isaiah 61.1, that the Spirit was He who inspired God's authors to write God's story and who inspired God's prophets to speak God's story in history. It was the Spirit who empowered different individuals of God's people to accomplish His purposes. We could think of people like Samson, whom the Spirit came upon early in his life, according to Judges 13.25. But then when he sinned against God, breaking his vow and commitment to God, the Spirit was taken from him. Later on in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. Spirit also came upon Saul, the first king of Israel, but also departed from Saul when he turned his face against the Lord. The Spirit came upon David. And different from Saul, you could read in Psalm 51.11 how David prayed for the Spirit not to leave him. And so one of the things that characterizes the Spirit's work in the, Holy, in, in the Old Testament is not one of consistency in those who believed, but, but one of God's action for a time and for a season, for specific works and sp- for specific acts. The Spirit, though, was prophesied by those authors and those prophets to come and rest on the Messiah, the righteous branch in Isaiah 11.2. The Spirit is the promise of God to accomplish His tasks, for not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 4.6. It was the Spirit that was promised to be poured out even in the Old Testament on God's people in the future. Consider Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel was writing about a new covenant, a, a promise of God to God's people in the future to receive His very Spirit in them to enable them to have a heart to believe, to have a heart to obey, to have a heart to walk by faith. Zechariah 12.10 would say something very similar to that. And so let's not think as, as Christians who love reading God's, uh, Jesus' teaching in John 14 and 15 and 16 about the Holy Spirit or love reading the book of Acts regarding the Spirit's work in the early church or love reading the epistles uh, that, that describe the, the walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was absent until the New Testament. That's just not the case. We just have to do a good, thorough reading of the Old Testament to see His 
consistency and presence and activity in the Old Testament. But the, new, but the Spirit is highlighted in the New Testament since He is Christ's helper. Since He was sent to honor and glorify Christ, pointing us to Jesus through the inspired Word of God. This is how our Baptist faith and message, our more recent Baptist confession, describes the work of the Holy Spirit, of which I'm hoping to go into a little bit more detail, as this is a pretty good summary. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the Scriptures. Through illumination, He enables men to understand the truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and effects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, He baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through His church. He seals the believer until the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. That's a, a good, helpful summary of what much of the New Testament describes of the Holy Spirit. And so let's just begin with Jesus. As we're, we've traveled through the Old Testament up to the New Testament, what does the Bible say regarding the Spirit's work in the life of Jesus? I've already mentioned His conception that the Creed mentions, also mentioned in Matthew chapter 120. Uh, but even as a child, it was the Spirit that helped Jesus grow as He's described in wisdom and in stature and in favor with the Lord and with man. In Luke 2.52, the Holy Spirit was present at Jesus' baptism. The Spirit visibly descended on Him while the voice of God the Father affirmed, this is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. One of the most beautiful uh, moments when the Trinity is, is present, all working together for one purpose there in Matthew 3.13. And then immediately after Jesus' baptism, the Bible says that Jesus was led out into the de desert by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. Interesting, isn't it? We don't want to think uh, of the Spirit um, leading us to a testing ground, and yet that is exactly what the Spirit did. Led Jesus into the desert to a testing ground where He was tempted by Satan to sin. And yet when He went out, Luke chapter 4 says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when He came back, He came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want that to be the, the description of me. 
I want that to be the description of us as we go out into the world, led by the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit of God, and coming back in the power of the Spirit of God. Remembering week after week, we can't do this in our own strength and in our own power. We need to come back in the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that, those couple chapters, Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 4, describing Jesus being baptized with the presence of the Holy Spirit there in His temptation by Satan in the desert and being led and filled and coming back in the power of the Holy Spirit are uh, what is available to each and every one of us as Jesus sought to uh, display. But Jesus, as He went on into His ministry, He um, taught well regarding the Spirit. And John records probably some of the clearest teaching regarding the Holy Spirit from the mouth of Jesus in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. I'd encourage you, if you want to know more about this Helper whom we're looking at today, the Holy Spirit, you would read those chapters in addition to what you're already reading in, in your normal Bible reading plan. Read John 14, 15, and 16. But I want to highlight a few of the verses uh, just this morning as Jesus promised that He would send the Holy Spirit to all whom believe to be their helper, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would help in several different areas. First, He said that the Holy Spirit would help by being with us forever. Consider John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. 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 Christian, 2,000 years after the time of Christ, we are experiencing a blessing, a part of the new covenant that those Old Testament saints did not enjoy. We get to experience the presence of God with us forever. As I'll mention later, we see promises like that from Jesus later in His life at, the, uh, at the, uh, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. Or, important verse to highlight on this Orphan Sunday as we prayed intentionally this morning for orphans around the world and for the church to rise up and minister to them. We're not doing anything different than what God the Father and Jesus Christ have done for us. Jesus Himself says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A, a promise not only of this Helper who would be with us, but of His return in the end. And so we have this Helper who will be with us forever. But not only would He be with us forever, He would teach us and remind us of all things that Christ Himself has said. Later in John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus says that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
It's been said, uh, sadly at times, that once you become a Christian, you don't automatically have downloaded into your mind all the information of God and the Bible into you, nor do you have all uh, the ability um, to be able to live a perfectly godly life at that point. We're always learning. We're always growing in holiness. And Jesus said it would be His Spirit whom He would send to be our helper in teaching us these things, in helping us to grow in, in godliness not only to teach us these things, but once we've learned these things, to remember those things. Christian, how often do you need to be reminded? Not only on Sunday mornings, but when we, when we gather together, but tomorrow morning when you go to work, to be reminded again that you have a helper. We need to be reminded. And it's the Holy Spirit who will bring those things to remembrance. John chapter 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me. For He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. John says later in his first letter, 1 John Chapter 2, verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, He says, abide in Him. And so Jesus knew we would need a teacher. We would not only need someone who would be with us at all times, which was more than Jesus could offer to His disciples, which is why He said it would be better for me to go. For if I go, I will send you this Helper who will be with you forever to the ends of the age. Jesus also knew that we would not only need Him to be with us, but we would need a teacher. We would need a reminder Uh, We would need someone who would help us to grow in these things. And it would be the Holy Spirit who would teach us not about Himself, but about Christ. There are so many Christians that are wanting to experience more in their Christian life. Wanting to experience more of the, the Spirit and more of the Spirit's work. And, and we ought to want that as well. But we need to remember that the Spirit's work is to glorify Christ and to teach us who Christ is and to remind us of who Jesus is and the truth about Jesus. Really, the Holy Spirit's doing an old, old work. And we don't necessarily need that new, new work. We need Him to do that old, old work of pointing us to who Jesus is. J.I. Packer illustrated it well in his book on the Apostles' Creed in saying, consider Jesus' words, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. And what does the Spirit say? The Spirit doesn't say, follow me. The Spirit says, follow Him. Go to Him. Look to Him in this. It's a good reminder that the Spirit is 
honoring and glorifying Christ. I also loved how Al Mohler highlighted the work of the Spirit in the church. In this work of highlighting and glorifying Jesus, he says in his book on the Creed, this amounts to an important reality check for churches across the world. Where you find the Spirit of God present, you do not find so much testimony about the Holy Spirit as you find testimony about Christ. Where you find, therefore, a bold, biblical, urgent, accurate, enthusiastic, joyful, and life-changing testimony of Christ, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit is vibrantly at work. That's my hope. That's our pastor's hope. That's our members' hope for this church, that we would see evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in this church as we sing about Christ, as we pray to Christ, as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, all of those kinds of things. Christian, is that true of you as well? Are, are we going to this Spirit who has highlighted and taught us so much about Christ and asking Him for help? Are we reading God's Word each and every day that the Spirit has inspired and whom the Spirit helps us to understand? Are we reading good books that teach us more about who Christ is and letting the Spirit use those resources to grow us in our knowledge of Christ? Are we gathering Sunday after Sunday needing more of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, as we gather together to hear God's Word preached as we're taught and reminded of the truths week in and week out. This is one of the ways that the Spirit helps us. This is what Jesus has taught us in, in John 14-16 through 16 regarding the Spirit's work as Helper. That He would be with us. That He would teach us. But not only that, that He would bear witness... And He would help us bear witness about Jesus. John, Jesus says in John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. Listen to verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Again, in John's first letter, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, John says, This is He who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but, uh, not by, water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit, listen, is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. It is, Jesus said it would be His Spirit who would bear witness of Christ in the earth when Jesus would return to His Father, ascend to the right hand of the Father on the throne. And He would send His Helper to bear witness about Jesus. 
But not only His Spirit, but the Spirit would be the one who would empower God's children, God's people, believers, to bear witness about Jesus as well. Christian, it's not you in your own strength that is going to bear witness about Jesus. You may be able to get words out of your mouth, but you are unable to regenerate souls. And it is going to be the Holy Spirit that regenerates those whom hear your words. And though some may hear your words with their physical ears, it will be the Holy Spirit that will enable them to hear with their spiritual ears. When we go out bearing witness about Christ, we need to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, remembering that He is the one that bears witness of of who Jesus is. Our work every week when we are sent out to be the church in the world will fall flat if we don't go in the power of the Holy Spirit. It will accomplish nothing when we're sent out to be the church in the world if we don't go in the power of the Holy Spirit depending upon Him. Because it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness. And it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to bear witness about Jesus. It's that Spirit of truth who does that. This is the exact opposite of what we hear when we read Jesus' words regarding Satan, regarding the devil. He's not the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of lies. John 8, 44 says of the world, the sinful world, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Consider then the difference between the spirit of the world, Satan, the devil, and the spirit of God, who is also the spirit of truth. The spirit of lies against the spirit of truth in the church versus in the world. This is the battle that is is going on, and yet what is continuing to happen is that people are plucked out of the domain of darkness Uh, as Christians boldly proclaim the gospel to those who have yet to believe, they hear the gospel with spirit regeneration and are taken out of the domain of darkness of this world and transferred into the domain of light, the kingdom of light, to have that same Holy Spirit available to them so that they then can go out into the world and bear witness to the truth. We need to remember that we need to be a people who are listening to the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God, rather than listening to the Spirit of this world. Listening to the truth rather than the lies that this world preaches to us. But Jesus said one other thing that the Holy Spirit would do when Jesus described this, uh, the Holy Spirit as our helper whom He would send to us. In John chapter 16, in verse 7, he said that the Holy Spirit would convict us. Now, I know you're, you may hear that and you think, I'd be okay without that. I'd be okay w- without that aspect. Give me just John 14 and 15. Let's leave out the conviction aspect. That hurts a little bit more. Yes, with me. 
Yes, teaching me and reminding me. Yes, empowering me to do that. But convicting? But, but Christian, listen. If the Holy Spirit didn't convict you of your sin originally, you would not have called out on Him to save you. You would not have His presence with you. You would not have Him teaching you. You would not have Him bearing witness through you. And so we need to remember that we're that we're thankful for this work of conviction in our heart. Listen to John 16, verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged Jesus said that the helper would come and convict the world us included concerning our sin, that we would see in Jesus one who is sinless and yet died for our sin, that we would see a radically changed life in believers who lived in accordance with the world and now live in accordance of the Spirit. And we would see the sinless life of Jesus and the radically changed life, imperfect though it may be, of believers, and we too would be pointed to Christ, to believe in Christ, to be changed by Christ as well. And then as we go out and we proclaim the gospel of this sinless Christ who died uh, for those who would believe, and as we display lives radically transformed by the gospel others too would be convicted of their sin and would turn to the sinless one who died for them on the cross. They'd be convicted of righteousness that we have none of our own, but we can have righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Concerning judgment, we would be convicted knowing that if we were to stand before God on our own, we would be judged rightly and justly condemned of our sin. And yet, through faith in Jesus, we could stand before God and not be judged as we deserve because Jesus Christ was judged in our place and on our behalf. We, we can experience that conviction ourselves, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. We can go out into the world in sharing the good news of Jesus seeing others by the Spirit's power be convicted of their own sins and point them to Jesus to repent and believe, and they too can experience that radical transformation of the Spirit. But we go even beyond Jesus' teaching uh, in John 14, 15, and 16. We could go, as I mentioned earlier, to the end of Jesus' life. Even after Jesus had lived that sinless life, died the death that all sinners deserve on the cross, was buried in the tomb, 
uh, and raised to life on the third day as the creed outlines so well. What the creed doesn't mention is that Jesus spent 40 days on this earth appearing to many, many uh, the disciples, the, the women, uh, 500, 1 Corinthians 5 says, even at one time, that Jesus had many appearances uh, of his resurrection before his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And it was during that, those appearances, during those 40 days here on this earth, where Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he gave that promise. And lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commissioning his church to go out and make disciples, um, baptizing them in, in the Trinitarian name of God, promising to be with them even though he would not be physically with them, that he would be with them as he would send his very own spirit to be with them. This is what he mentioned as recorded in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Just before Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, he said, You, and after he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the power of the Holy Spirit, earlier in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, he said, You will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, at the end of his time, not only at the end of his life, but at the end of his time while here on this earth, he promises to be with us. He promises that we would receive this power you could continue reading in the book of Acts and read in Acts chapter 2 as we went through that study in the book of Acts. You could go listen there and study there about how the Holy Spirit came upon those believers at first uh, as they were gathering together to, to pray. They experienced the coming of that Old Testament promise of the new covenant spirit upon them in Acts chapter 2. And you can see and read about the Spirit's work and the Spirit's activity in and through the church all throughout the, the book of Acts. And we can see even the, the, the preaching of the apostles, the writing of the apostles in the Word of God and, and their belief that the Word of God was inspired by this very Holy Spirit, both Old and New Testaments. Consider how Second Peter chapter 1 describes one of the works of the Holy Spirit being the writing of the Word of God. Peter says, for no prophecy, that is old or new, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. After Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, one of His 
major works was building the church of Christ and inspiring certain individuals in that time to write the word of God so that the revelation of Jesus Christ might be passed on from generation to generation. And we are enjoying that benefit even this morning as we've read from both Old and New Testaments considering the work of the the Spirit We could even go to the very end of our Bibles in the book of Revelation as Jesus speaks to the seven churches of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And at the end of each one of his letters to those individual churches, he says something like, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is revealing who He is by the Spirit of God in the Word of God. But the New Testament goes on to describe how we as Christians who have come to believe in Christ and have been given this gift of the Holy Spirit as was promised in the Old Testament are urged to walk by the Spirit. Consider Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Um, or that we're encouraged to live by the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Or that we're considered to set our minds on the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. And Paul would go on in verse 12 of Romans 8 to say, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So Christian, we've claimed our belief in the Holy Spirit. We've put our trust in. In God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we we know that the Spirit resides in us. We know He's our helper. We know He's our guide. We know He is with us. We know all of these things to be true. But are we doing what what the Spirit has inspired the Apostle Paul to write to us? Are we walking by the Spirit? Think about what that means to, to walk by the Spirit, step by step, moment by moment, throughout the day, all of our action being guided and helped by the Spirit. We need to consider, are we walking more often in our own strength, in our own ways, than we are the Spirit's strength and the Spirit's ways? We may be able to do it, Christian, for a time. We may be able to go this week, month, year, decade. Sadly, because as infants and children, we were taught to walk in our own strength, in our own power, to do things on our own. But as Christians, we've bowed our knee to the Lord, saying, we can't do it. And that's not just in our salvation, that's in our sanctification as well. We will not be able to be holy as He is holy apart from walking by the Holy Spirit. And so often, myself, yourself, we find ourselves walking in the Spirit and when we've fallen short, 
Only then do we turn back to the Holy Spirit and ask for help. Might we, before we fall short, turn to the Holy Spirit for help as we begin those activities of every day, before we begin those conversations, before we begin whatever the Lord would have of us. And as we walk by the Spirit, the Bible says that we will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time, but you could go to Matthew chapter 7 and say and see that Jesus in verse 15 through 20 says that a tree will be known by its fruit. A person will be known by its fruit. A Christian will be known by the fruit of the Holy Spirit rather than the fruit of an evil spirit, you, you might be able to say. We could go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where this might be most clearly seen in that after He urges us to walk by the Spirit, He goes a step further and lays out what the fruit of walking in the Spirit would look like. In verse 22, where He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The longer we as Christians abide in the Holy Spirit and walk in the Holy Spirit, the more we will display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Christian, consider your own life. If someone outside of this church in the world or someone in this church were to look at your life and to consider the fruit of your life, would they say that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit or a fruit of the world? A fruit of the flesh or a fruit of the Spirit? We need to consider these things regarding our own lives. But then lastly, the, the Bible goes on and says that the Spirit would empower each Christian with a gift of the Holy Spirit. A spiritual gift, if you will. The sad thing is, is that when, when we see people desiring and focusing more on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, apart from displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when individual Christians would care more about having a specific gift of the Holy Spirit and not working hard in the power of the Holy Spirit to simply display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They'd rather display an individual gift rather than displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are a confusing topic and not the topic of this sermon but to highlight that the Holy Spirit does, in fact, give gifts. And we can see from 1 Corinthians 12 some of the plain and clear teachings regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. So a couple things that are just plain and clear regarding the gift that each Christian receives from the Holy Spirit. And the first is this, that gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. They're not um, a part of our first nature. They're a part of our second nature given by the Holy Spirit. Second, there are a variety of these gifts. We're not all to look the same. We're not all going to have the same gifts of the Holy Spirit. Third, all the different gifts are given by the same Spirit. While there is one Spirit, there are a variety of gifts. It's not different spirits that give different gifts. But then fourthly and lastly that I'll point out here is that every Christian has a gift given to them by the Holy Spirit. Christian, that should encourage you. And that should encourage you in that you don't have to be me, and praise God, I don't have to be you. We can do our individual gifts and build up the body better as we live as the Lord has empowered and gifted each of us. As I'm looking out in this church, I I love looking out and seeing the different gifts and thinking about all the different gifts that each one of you have, the different personalities, the different abilities, uh, the different talents, the different passions, all given to you by the Holy Spirit. What What a gift we have in that. There's much more that could be said about that, but I don't have time, and uh, that's not what the focus of this is. The focus of this is is our belief in the Holy Spirit, who is God, a part of the Trinity, one who is our helper in time of need. And like I said at the beginning of our time together, uh, more often than not, I'm reminded of how in need I really am. And I wonder if you this morning need to call out to the Lord again for help. As your strength has run out, as your ability has run out, as the lies of the evil one have attacked you from the outside, remember that the spirit of truth resides on the inside. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have this helper promised to us by Christ uh, who's been given to us and sent to us by the Father to be able to help us in time of need. Those of us who are Christians, we know that we found our greatest help when our sin was revealed to us and we turned to Christ and we found help in salvation. Help when we would look forward to know that we would stand before God. And if you're here this morning realizing, maybe even, as the Bible said, being convicted of your own sin, convicted of your own lack of righteousness, convicted that when you stand before God in the judgment, you would be judged rightly as sinful. I can't urge you enough. We can't urge you enough as those who have been convicted of our own sin and have turned to Christ and found salvation to turn to Him this morning.
and know that in turning to Christ, you in that moment will receive the Spirit of Christ to, to be with you. Christian, we who have experienced the help of Christ in salvation also have the Spirit of Christ to help us in our sanctification. And may we turn to Him. May we learn to depend on Him as a habit each and every day as our helper. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for uh, the help that we have found in Christ who died for us, who rose for us, who sent us His very Spirit to help us. Spirit, I thank You for coming to us who have believed in being our helper. Spirit, I pray that we would be, as we sung earlier, more aware of Your presence in our life. We need not pray for You to come to us For Jesus has promised you are with us, but we definitely need to be more aware of your presence with us. And I pray that you would do that even this morning, that you would do that this week as we go out back into the world to be the church in the world. Spirit, teach us, remind us, convict us, have your way in us. Help us to bear witness to You, to walk in the Spirit, to bear fruit in the Spirit, and to act as You have gifted us to act by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we praise You as You are God. We thank You for the specific work that You do in the lives of believers. And we praise you this morning together as your church, united by your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.